Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode four, and we have Adam Chernov joining the podcast. Adam started his foray into the betting world, spending a decade in the Caribbean and Central America regions in places like Trinidad and Tobago, the Dominican Republic, and Colombia. Adam takes us back to what it was like in that part of the world, and how betting and bookmaking has changed over the last 15 years. Adam currently lives in Canada, and we discuss the current betting environment in North America, as well as what positive changes could help augment the U.S. betting culture. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and future guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Adam Chernoff. Today, I'm joined by Adam Chernoff. Adam, thank you very much for coming on and spending some time having a chat. Happy to be here, Jake. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone for the other time and answering some questions instead of asking them. Yeah, I know you've delved into this area a little bit, so we might touch on that later. Um, But first, to get us started, uh, there's obviously going to be some people in Australia and different parts of the world who might be listening. So do you want to just take us through some of the background on how it all started for you and, and what led to where you are now? Sure. Um, I started betting on sports about 10 years ago, uh, back in 2007, and I began posting online. It was really the first time I came across um, sports betting, and the forum era was just kind of uh, reaching its hot point, and so I got involved with that, um, and I just sort of carried through with it through uh, my younger years. After graduating in high school, I moved out to the Dominican Republic and I took a few thousand dollars with me that I'd saved up. I was working at a concrete company uh, over the summer after I graduated high school and I just went to the Dominican Republic and I said, let's see how long I can last. I didn't really realize that the country was so full of uh, bookmakers. It's the most uh, bookmakers per capita on earth. There's about 16,000 legal bookmakers and god knows how many else uh that are illegal on the island which is a fairly small island all things considered so basically anywhere you go you can get down and place a bet i didn't realize that going in um and so it just kind of became my natural way to keep myself afloat um and i was just sort of betting on sports myself spending the day on the beach during the day hanging out made a lot of good friends um living down there and then i ended up betting at night and then in 2011, right at the end of 2010, early 2011, uh, I just happened to connect with the right people. And I met up with a man named Richard Williams, who owns CGS International, uh, which was bought out by Amaya a few years ago. Amaya's a big gaming company, but um, that's a different story. But at the time, they had um, a number of different casinos throughout the Caribbean. And he was starting up a bookmaking operation sort of as a test run in Trinidad and Tobago. And so I ended up really hitting it off with him, and he's sort of a big gambler himself, so he took a chance on me for whatever reason, sent me down to Trinidad and Tobago. I spent a few months in Port of Spain uh, before that eventually fell under. Returned back to the Dominican Republic and got hooked up with a couple of guys from the Bahamas. Uh, Turned out that they were extremely influential people, whether they did so above the law or below uh, is sort of up to the discretion of the listener, but I ended up working for Assure Win and Paradise Games, which are the two biggest gaming companies in the Bahamas, next to Island Luck, and I was running their sportsbook operation. I ended up getting picked up by chances um, a year into that, and I carried through uh, providing odds, setting numbers, moving the markets, managing the risk for all three websites, and I carried through doing that until 2015, which is when I met my life, er, my wife, <laughs> which changed my life pretty dramatically. And we uh, spent the last couple of years in Colombia. I was living in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, a lot of people know that city for the for the wrong reasons, but I absolutely love my time there. And just recently, we moved back to Canada, and my wife is going through the immigration process to become a resident here. 
Wow, that's a bit of a whirlwind. Was that what over? Sounds like about ten, sort of fifteen years. That was all. Yeah, to, this is we're sort of at the just over the ten year mark. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned a lot of very interesting things there. Um, I guess the first one I want to touch on. You mentioned you're betting on sports and spending time on the beach. A lot of people from the outside probably think that uh, betting on sports is easy and you can spend all day drinking Coronas and then at night you can place a few bets and win a whole bunch of money and sit in the hammock all day. Um, I'm sure it's not really like that. Uh, is that is that the case? Um, I guess at the time I was fairly <laughs> young and uh, dumb. I was about 18, year old, 18 years old at the time, so... I definitely um, thought it was a lot easier than it was. Um, a lot of, I guess, my initial success came off luck, um, and it definitely kept me afloat a little bit longer. But I was quick to learn that these places were all uh, independently operated, and when you have so many independently operated places, there's obviously opportunities to pop up between them um, in terms of how they move their lines, how quickly they move their prices. So I became a little more privy to, I sort of learned on the fly, I guess is a good way to put it, at how to sort of really grind out a living um, day to day. But the key words definitely uh, becomes grind when you're talking about doing this for a living. So were you often betting both sides of the board because you had so many bookmakers and I would imagine so many different opportunities to, to bet both sides if there was a, I guess, a discrepancy in the lines and there was some value to be betting both sides? Um, there was definitely some buyback and some selling that I was doing, but mostly it was um, just getting the best of a number in a big way. Uh, it, uh, you learn to learn which places move first. You learn to move, learn who moved the places or who moved the numbers at each places. Um, and I mean, when you're talking about where I was, you're, you're thinking a street that's say a kilometer too long, and along there, there's six or seven different places that are all owned by different operators. So I mean, it just became a matter of going to each place, sorted down the line, and seeing the best number you can get, and going back and forth because they could never move it quick enough to keep up with the other guys, just because the infrastructure wasn't there and the technology at the time was was definitely lacking. So take us to that part of the world. Um, you mentioned there's a you know there might be a street full of bookmakers. Are they all operating on advanced sort of technology systems that help them with their betting? And there's sophisticated sort of you know algorithms and databases full of information that they're using, or is it a lot more uh, you know old school when you when you you know you're living there and you're consuming the the different odds from different bookmakers? Is it what we would expect, or is it much more advanced? Well, everyone listening to this in Australia and UK has to realize that they are, I'd say, at least a decade ahead of the rest of the world. So this was in 2010. So, I mean, what they were doing in 2010 is what was sort of going on in – and even it might be tough to compare to what was going on in the UK and Australia in, say, the turn of the – year 2000 2001 just because it's so far behind i mean these places were just a few hundred square feet at the most when you go in i guess uh, square meters for anyone listening you're talking 40 50 square meters just like the size of a kitchen bathroom type of thing one lady behind a desk she's got a computer which is hooked up to their main odd system whether that's controlled by a single person or an odd surface is to be determined they have a thermal printer uh, and you walk up and they have all the odds written down on a whiteboard or a chalkboard and they change them sort of as they go if they're not lazy enough to get up from behind the counter at which point you're going up to the counter saying I want this price and that price has been gone forever but they just haven't changed it so I mean it's uh, pretty archaic in terms of certainly what's there today but even what was there uh, five six years ago in the Australian UK. So did you ever get worried one day you would walk down to collect a winning bet and then there would be nothing there? It definitely crossed my mind to start. Um, I came to realize that pretty quick it's not in their interest to do so. Um, just because the competition is so heavy, uh, you get the one bad sort of payout, and especially if it happens to someone who's not from there who has um, – I, I mean, being a, at the time living in the country, if you're foreign, you sort of have a little more leeway with what you're able to get away with in terms of uh, the gaming and the liquor laws. So, I mean, the last thing that any of these little places had in their mind uh, was to, to screw someone over over 
few hundred bucks. So you mentioned you're on the bookmaking side as well as the betting side. Take us into a normal day on the bookmaking side for you back in the, I guess, the, the Dominican Republic or even Medellin when you were working there. Yeah, so my first bookmaking job was um, working with Richard at CGS, and I was at Palms Members Club uh, in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, casino gambling wasn't technically legal. It was a very gray area at the time. There were a couple casinos that operated, which were very big corporations and connected through the government. But everything else was run through private members clubs. And so what that meant was basically they were all massive houses, but they would clear everything out of the houses and they would put whatever you want inside. So in order to go into one of these places, you had to sign up at the door and register and become a member. And then once you're inside these places, the laws didn't apply. So we would have, we'd be catering to these private members and inside of these gambling houses, I guess you could call it, were very upscale bars, gaming tables, slot machines, cigars, pretty well whatever you wanted. And Richard had the idea to throw sports betting into there. So at the time, it was 2010. And again, you're in a third world country. We didn't have the infrastructure that nearly is available today. Um, so, I mean, I was operating on two different computers, laptops. We had the whiteboards up on the wall where I was changing the odds um, as they come in. We had a few TVs, and we had a little bit of a setup in the corner behind the blackjack and the roulette tables. And basically, i get there early in the morning, put up the numbers for the day if they weren't already up from days prior. Uh, I was there right December, January, February, so it was right during NBA season, so it was sort of a day-by-day process, but I'd have to put up the numbers, and we were open for about 14 to 15 hours a day, and it was just handling the foot traffic as it came in. So who were the clients, and what was the customer acquisition like back in 2010? Was it a combination of people off the street, you know, word of mouth, or was there an online sort of business at all? Definitely nothing online. We couldn't go advertising outside of the members clubs. Uh, advertising of, of, away from them was illegal. Um, and it was part of the reason that that operation didn't succeed. Um, definitely as I got into um, a sure win in Paradise Games later on in the Bahamas, is a much more sophisticated online system. But um, in Trinidad and Tobago, it was extremely hard to get uh, customers just playing just because the culture there is so different and it's very it's a very cricket heavy country um, and cricket while well, it applies itself while well, they're trading and everything like that in the UK and Australia it's become very popular um, there people were much more interested in playing and there wasn't that big TV presence so it's very difficult to get customers and it's been tried a couple times to get bookmaking started there and, and every every operation has failed for the most part so in some of these clubs, did you have tourists coming in on you know on holidays coming in to come in and watch a game and have a bet or, or play some casino games, or was it just the local population? It was pretty limited to locals. Port of Spain at the time was it was pretty rough. Um, there was a lot of crime, a lot of uh, trafficking of you name it going through there. So it it was difficult to get those tourists away from the hotels away from sort of the safe zones into these areas at night. So what sports were you putting up on the board and were people betting on back in 2010 there? That that was basically NBA. I was there for the three months. But as I got into a sure win in Paradise Games in the Bahamas uh, with my next job the year later, uh, we were doing full American sports. And we had the massive audience for that that exceeded my expectations at every level. Okay, and then I would imagine it was much the same on the betting side. Were there any or were there a lot of sort of professionals there or was it very much a, a public and casual sort of uh, clientele? For sure. This, I guess, switching into the Bahamas, um, it shocked me at first because I didn't expect from going there and setting everything up and seeing how they run. It was a similar members club situation, but they were more of the web shop model where um, rather than having the physical games, you would go in and they would have the computers. Everything was online. I was shocked at how much people bet on sports and how, uh, I, I guess, I, I want to call it sharp, but just how intelligent and quick they were to adapt with 
everything that we were offering them. Like they were quick to jump on lines. They were quick to take the best prices. And and it was a challenge to manage the risk and, and balance the books at the end of the day because it, it really caught me off guard for the first while. So was that some type of agent system where other people were instructing people to go and bet in those areas because there was the possibility to bet or was it just a sophisticated local population? Well, the Bahamas was an interesting situation because up until recently, it was illegal for the locals to play at any of the casinos because the casinos were all attached to hotels. So you hear about like Atlantis, which is a popular one. They have a massive casino. They have a huge sports book. But none of the locals were able to go in and play at the casino and play at the sports book because it was all reserved for tourists. So the owners of these gambling websites were able to really take advantage of a market that was starved for gambling. And so I think that sort of fueled a lot of the players and just the amount of play that was coming in. And then, of course, you have a lot of people on that island uh, with a lot of money to spend. So that definitely didn't hurt us either. Okay. So how did you get your sort of background and, and basis knowledge for the betting and the bookmaking side. I know you mentioned you left after you went to high school. Did you did you learn on the fly everything or was there some way you accumulated knowledge, um, whether it's, you know, the mathematics side or even just the uh, the sports side? Much of the numbers stuff I picked up in my couple of years prior betting, um, I was I wasn't good at going to school, but when I was at school I was good at at learning. Uh, I was not the ideal student, but when I was there, I was quick to pick, pick things up. And so I was always pretty good with numbers and I managed to catch on to the odds and, and the game theory of betting very quickly. And over three years, it just got stronger. So I was never um, slow to catch on to any of that, but just as far as how to manage the money, how to manage the staff, how to manage the risk, how to move the numbers, how to balance everything, that was all on the fly. I learned a lot of it just in my first couple of months while I was in Trinidad and Tobago. But moving over to the Bahamas, where I was um, using software, I used DGS odds making software. Um, I was quick to pick that up, and that made a lot of things um, a lot easier to manage. But also, it really opened my eyes to just how many things there are to run the backside of a sports book. So did you delve into any other areas other than sports? Um, did you have any history with poker? Obviously, poker sort of had a boom back in those days. Were you delving into poker as well or any other sort of betting or bookmaking? I initially started playing poker. I was never better than a, a great uh, break-even player, but I, the first thing that really got me into gambling altogether was seeing the tournaments and everything on TV. Um, the Score app is a very popular app for for betters and people watching american sports but a lot of people don't know that that was a television network in canada and they carried uh, a lot of the poker content that was on tv for canada so i that's sort of what hooked me into gambling so i was got me familiar with odds and sort of got my feet wet and then i ended up transitioning the sports betting a little bit after um but aside from poker and poker and sports i've never done never been much for playing slots or tables or anything else like that so are you full-time betting now in canada i've well i I, interesting enough you mentioned that i just made a post today on twitter that for the first time in over 10 years i'm i'm stepping back from betting day-to-day just because of all the other things i have going on in my life Um, i just recently took on a new position at a large casino corporation here in canada and it's i guess my first legitimate job that i've ever had and i say legitimate because anyone else i've worked for has been sort of on the other side of the law uh, to put it nicely um, and then my wife's going through the immigration process as well. After living in Colombia for a couple of years, we decided to come to Canada just to have a, a better chance at a future, I guess, for her. Um, so we're going through that process now as well. And it just I wasn't able to keep up at the rate that I wanted to uh, just being as competitive as I am and having um, sort of the background I do. I know what level and how much time has to be spent in order to be successful and to put in that level of work, I was just sacrificing a little bit too much of family time. So just recently in this last sort of week, I've made the decision sort of to step back from the day-to-day betting. But a lot of what I'm doing now is focusing on providing content and creating uh, material just based on what I've learned over the last nine or 10 years, which I'm hoping to be able to share with a lot of people through social media and sort of build my following with that. Will you continue to bet on a part-time basis then? 
I, I said I can never step away from betting. It's something that once I've once you get into it to the level that I've got into it, you can't you can't step away from it because you you see. I mean, even when I've tried to take breaks, I'm sitting there and I see the opportunities come across, and I can't help myself from looking at the markets. Um, but just as far as making the day to day grind of it, I'm not going to. But those spot bets. They have to come up because you, no matter and no matter where you go, you can't get away from those. What are, what are going to be the biggest challenges then? Because I would imagine, are you going to focus on a certain sport or a certain conference or a certain team or, or things like that? Or are you just going to wait and see for positions or situations where you know it's probably going to be a positive expectation value bet based on all your experience and, um, and just fire in those situations? I'm very big into South American soccer, and I fell, I'll say football because I know we have the international listeners. Um, I, I really fell in love with the game while I was living in Colombia. The three years I spent there, it was just too too hard to avoid. Um, and I find those markets are really lacking the attention that other major football markets forget. And I, there's always a ton of situations that pop up there. Um, just knowing, knowing the situations that arise, and and still talking to the people that I talk to on a daily or next to daily basis. Um, so I mean that's always sort of my main area of focus. Um, but then of course with so much media attention on the American sports and being sort of in the heart of that, being in Canada, uh, it's hard to ignore certain situations as they come up. Just knowing that what's going on in the media is going to present a different situation in the market that's going to be too good to pass up on. So South American football, what percentage of your bets would be in play as opposed to pregame? It's, I'd say about 75% pre-match to 25% in play. And the reason for that being is on Betfair, the liquidity is definitely not there. So you have to go over to somewhere like a Bet365 in order to get the coverage on all the matches that's needed. And they're so quick to limit anybody who has any success in play that you really have to sort of pick and choose your spots on when you want to make it worthwhile. I've got the accounts in the wife's name and stuff like that to sort of try to get by them. But um, they're becoming pretty good at flagging their players and, and shutting down accounts quickly when you're having that success. So I try to sort of uh, stay away from in play as much as I can unless I know I really want to make that spot count just to avoid um, the risks of being limited and shut down so quickly. What is your overall betting strategy then? Obviously, it's probably findings and selecting value and, and betting based on that. But is it? Are you more of a? Are you looking at situations, or are you looking at sort of deep dive into some of the data and the some of the players and how they perform in certain circumstances? What is you know the overarching sort of principles that you use without sort of going too deep and giving away any IP? Sure. Uh, a lot of what I do is just finding sort of inefficiencies in the market. Um, there's definitely, when you compare the, all the odds on the board, there's a massive discrepancy in which sports books think uh, which teams should be priced where. And they're pretty easy to spot when you know the teams and you know how these books move their prices. So, I mean, just from watching your odds page, you can see a lot of uh, moves as they happen and you can see which sports books they originate at and you can sort of follow the money through to tell if it's a good move or a bad move. As far as looking through the players, uh, when it comes to like a domestic league in Colombia, for example, you have sort of your top tier of players that make a difference and then after that, it's sort of 70% of the league gets junked into uh is it really worth more or less if they're in the lineup? So I think a lot of people do focus on uh, who is playing and who is not. But when it comes to these smaller domestic leagues, you can really sort of waste your time and waste a lot of effort looking into which players are specifically in because the chances are that that replacement coming in is just has just as good of a chance to be as impactful as the normal starter is. So I tend to focus more on the markets and, and which moves are the true moves and which ones aren't and just m make my way around the market trying to get the best of the number. Okay. So I'm sure you've encountered a lot of bettors on the bookmaking side and obviously colleagues when you are on the betting side. Are there more than one or two ways to go about winning? Um, have you found that you know some people don't watch games, don't watch replays and are purely diving into some of the 
the data or some of the market sort of uh, analysis or you know people are just following the players individually and reading every article they can about their personal lives to see if you know they've got a sick daughter and therefore it might impact performance have you found that there are long-term ways to win more than just you know going into watching the game selecting the value and placing those bets i think there's a lot of ways to get to the same point uh but at the end of the day you're only going to win if you're getting out in front of the market uh I, so I, I think that the process varies greatly from better to better, and not every person uses the same uh, methods to get to the answer, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, but as far as there being more than one way, if you're not beating the market, you're not going to be successful. So how do you go about splitting up the selecting teams and, and finding the value and then obviously executing the bets? Do you treat them as two separate, uh, I guess, strategies or do you have separate strategies for those and do you split them up or are you just going in um with the mindset that it's all one i guess action i think that and I, a lot of what i've done over the last couple of years is just sort of finding more efficient ways to bet um i think the betting process for most people is a lot more extensive than it needs to be and so i used to do the when I was working on the bookmaking side, I, ha I had to do the power ratings. I had to do the team by team. I had to do everything and break everything down to its furthest point. But now on the betting side, um, just knowing as much as I do, or I, I don't want to say knowing is a bad way to put it, but being as familiar as I am with markets and how they move, I sort of let that guide me to where I should be looking. Um, if you're going to look at a weekend of 10 games in, say, this Colombian domestic league, Liga Aguila, um, there's going to be a couple moves right away that point out which games uh, you can influence and which games you can get out ahead of. And that'll save you from looking at the other six or seven. So I'm sort of at the point now where I'm just looking to be as efficient as I can. And the easiest way for me to do that is to let the market tell me where to look first. And then I sort of work backwards from there going through the game. So that, I let those pointed out for me. And when, you're, when we're talking about staking, do you, what is the optimal staking plan, I guess, for you? Is it the larger the edge or the perceived edge, um, the larger you bet? Or is it, are you betting similar amounts on all, all of your bets regardless? No, you've, when, when the edge is there, you've got to make it count. Um, that's the one way you, you make the most of it. And you got to be maximizing your positions when you know you have the best of it. Um, I think if you're, there is reason behind the flat staking. Um, I think most people who do favor the flat staking, um, they've got more to worry about than their stake amount. And I think a lot of that comes down to just their mental game not being as strong. If you have to limit yourself on how much you can bet, then it may be more of a control problem, in my opinion, than is it because if if you think about this logically, the best way is maximizing, and it always will be. Uh, what about on the technology side? Then you mentioned you used DGS in the past. I mean, now you're living in Canada. Previously, you know, in the Dominican and places like that. Have you seen a major sort of? A, has there been major advancements on the technology side that helps you be a, a better, a better, better essentially, or is it um, is it much the same as it was? Um. Unfortunately, in this side of the world, there's not. Uh, there's a couple companies that sort of control it with their odds uh, movement software, and they tend to charge a lot of money for it. Um, so a lot of uh, betters are really limited from the options that they have. And you go over to like UK or Australia where there are those options to sort of get your feet in the door for free. Um, and improve on it. Uh, there's a lot more opportunity over there than there is here. Over the last couple of years, the year, to be honest, in terms of tools that betters can use to uh, improve themselves and and become better at betting, it's really stayed the same. And it has been the same for a number of years. DGS software, which powers some of the most popular American-facing sports books, uh, it was written Windows XP, which, I mean, when did that go out? 2001, and it's still got the same look. It's still got the same template. It's still got the same feel to what it was when it was created 15, 16 years ago. So, I mean, that's still holding true to today. And some of the biggest 
sportsbook companies that are facing the U.S. are relying on that software every day. So that really gives you a good <laughs> picture to how things are still stuck way behind over here in this part of the world. Okay, so how then, I guess we're now we're in an information age where there is a wealth of data and a wealth of information uh, readily available for bookmakers and bettors and anyone else, whether it's casual or professional. So how do you, I guess, consume that? Uh, what works for you on, on accessing all of this information and how does it how is it best utilized in what you do? It's become easier than ever to find out information, but more difficult than ever to apply it. And I think we're reaching a fairly complex problem where it's becoming a very big challenge just to absorb all the information that we can and realize what's good and, and what's not and, and stay away from that noise like you mentioned. And it's, and it's sort of interesting to see how people deal with it because a new concept will come up and people will be very quick to adapt to that or that mindset and it'll become like the hot thing and it'll just spread through everything so quickly just because everyone's so in touch and any sort of information is going to come out, uh, whether it be injuries or anything along that line. And it's really interesting to see how little or how much some of these pieces of information that come out uh, impact the market. But I think that the best way to handle it, to answer your question, is to really study or get a good feel of how certain information impacts a market and whether it's impacted it too much or too little. And find those spots where something will come out and use all this information to your advantage. When when you get that notice for an injury or whatever it may be, look to see how that impacts the market and if this has moved too much or moved too little. And you'll be amazed if you start paying attention to this stuff and sort of getting a measurement on it. Uh, how often you can tell if a price has moved too far or hasn't moved enough, and you can just get an opportunity from that. But, of course, the challenge with everything is really sort of avoiding all of the junk that comes at you on a daily basis. Interesting. So you mentioned Bedford earlier. On the the bookmaking side, and I guess you've obviously got this part of the world, Nevada, um, with a lot of bookmakers there, corporate bookmakers as we would call them, in your mind, what is the future um, for some of those corporate bookmakers as well as the Betfairs and the matchbooks of the world? Do you think it's, it seems to be recently anyway that it's going down the path of limiting action, limiting turnover for a lot of professionals and smart bettors and, and working on more of a, a profit margin model as opposed to a high turnover model? Is that what you're seeing uh, in the industry? It's going down that path? Obviously, you've got the pinnacles of the world, but sort of in general, is it, is it headed that way? Well, eventually we get to the point where Denise Coach just takes over everyone and runs the world herself through Bet365, no? You might be right. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's weird because it's almost come to, um, I guess, for these corporate bookmakers, they almost have like a competition problem where the market, especially in like the UK, has become so saturated with different options and, and different names that they're sort of forced to merge together to take advantage of the markets. Otherwise, they're all going to sort of eat themselves from the inside out. But I mean, I, I don't know uh, who is going to end up as the main one. But I mean, at this day and age, there's no reason for your best option or your easiest option to be offering you markets that are priced with seven and eight percent margins applied into them. So I think there's definitely going to be a place for um, whoever is willing to take the chance and drop their markets down, consider drop their margins down considerably to take over that big portion of the traffic that's really becoming upset and raged with these bookmakers and I'm amazed at how much content comes through on social media or the internet um, on a daily basis with people who are smart enough in the UK to realize what's going on here and just the overall hatred that some of these people have for bookmakers is really sort of spreading for the positive and I think that eventually someone is going to have to take a stand and drop their margins uh, down considerably and they're going to get a lot of traffic from it. So I think that's going to be sort of the first thing that's got to happen if they're willing to do it. And then I guess the second thing is going to be how do they innovate? Uh, We haven't really seen any sort of innovation in the betting process in 60, 70 years. I mean, it's gone online and away from behind the counter. Um, But I mean, as far as how do you innovate 
a sports market or a sports betting platform, it's a difficult thing to do because, you, I mean, you can't really dress up uh, two teams playing each other in the odds like you could with, say, the slot machines, which have evolved so greatly. Or even table games now, you look at roulette, uh, scientific games just released a thing where there's a button on the table and now people are spinning the ball on the roulette wheel and all their bets are automatic and there's no dealers and everything's becoming so advanced. You look at sports betting and it's really stayed the same. I don't think in play like it was naturally going to happen, but I mean, you can't make that any better than it is. Uh, without some sort of network deal where it's built into the game itself and it's showing on your screen. So, I mean, I don't know what the next big innovation is going to be. Maybe it's something like Bookie with uh, a guy I know, Adam Kalmans, and he made it, and that's sort of taking advantage of the technology that we use today and the mindset of the younger betters. Um, but that innovation challenge is going to be the big thing that they're going to have to deal with in the future for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, as well as... I mean, the U.S. sports certainly are analytics heavy, I would say, opposed to other sports around the world. You see sort of baseball, for example, and I don't think there's any peers with regards to some of the information and statistics and stat casts and all of that sort of stuff that you can find within the, the baseball realm. So I guess my question is, how is, how is it going to go, certainly for the U.S., to bring the sort of population up to speed on the, the betting knowledge? Because I find here, certainly in the U.S., that... It's certainly lacking. Um, there is good information out there, but it certainly is stifled. And with the industry sort of stagnated, it's hard to get that widespread information out to everyone where it's fully understood. Do you think that is a problem for the U.S. going forward, especially when it comes to innovation? Because if you don't have that base betting knowledge, uh, it's very difficult to innovate based on entering a new market. And I'm sure it's very difficult for the regular person to just jump straight into the stocks and bonds market and start innovating there without without the deep knowledge. So do you think that is something that will stifle innovation going forward? I don't think that the U.S. has the innovation problem yet. The U.S. has a culture problem, and I don't know how that's going to be solved. There's a, a very small portion of the country which thinks it's much bigger than it is, that thinks that all of these teams moving to Las Vegas is going to suddenly change how the rest of the country views betting. The The problem is so ingrained into the culture that gambling is associated to something illegal. And that's the first thing that the country has to come over collectively before they're even able to start thinking about improvements in technology and uh, innovating that and becoming even in the same sentence is close to being on par with the rest of the world. Um, there's such an uphill battle. And thankfully, there are some people that are optimistic because it has to happen. But even you go into Las Vegas and apps for betting are a new thing. Like they've only been around for a year or two at some of the major places. And you think about places like Bet365, which were offering in-play betting on a computer a dozen years ago and that still doesn't exist in the United States because the market isn't big enough for it and people don't even know that the in-play exists because they can't even access these websites from their computer because it's all blocked there's that whole other world of in-play betting and everything that's become mainstream in the UK and Australia that hasn't even been explored in the slightest and I'm talking with people in betting groups that I'm in and there are people saying, oh, my God, I love live betting. I just tried it. And these are great bettors that make a lot of money doing this. And they're just doing it for the first time now. So, I mean, that whole side of it is so far down the road. It's not even close to being in thoughts of, of I mean, my mind for, for one, but it should be in, in many others. But solving that culture problem is going to be a big hurdle to get over. And, I mean, you're going to need a whole lot of great education to be able to overcome that so the apps in las vegas that's always fascinated fascinated me because when i've been there i've i've seen the apps you can download them they're not fantastic apps certainly like they look terrible right they're not they're not great but putting that aside what is the reason it's taken so long is it the volume which you mentioned they just can't get that volume to make it worthwhile and also the geo blocking as well is obviously a problem you can access a lot of different websites from the US. You can't place bets, you can't deposit money and those type of things. But from an information and content standpoint, 
is there a, a reason why they aren't putting out different information and content? Is that a is that going back to the culture thing you mentioned? I don't know if it's a lack of will from the people looking to improve themselves or just a lack of simply knowledge from people able to provide it. Um, you look at how far behind the country is in terms of the rest of the world, which we keep going back to that comparison. But, I mean, you try to make that, that comparison and there's just – there's no one to offer any new content because it seems like anyone who's very good at betting in the country – has hit the ceiling on what they can know. And then they just lean on that. There's no, once you sort of get to that point where you have your connections in place and you have what you want to know, there's no desire to get better because you can't, there's no other options to bet on. There's nothing else to expand into. There's no secondary markets that you can take advantage of. It's the pre-match betting and that's that. So I, I definitely don't think that helps. As far as the apps in Las Vegas, um, not living there i can't be like the main source to comment on it obviously you've seen how bad they are so have i um i think one of the biggest problems they have is once you leave uh or cross state lines those apps are no longer accessible so i mean you have the small local population that uses them and i think that that's attractive to to sports books um and i'm sure the volume is increasing on these apps it has to be but, I mean, you have the people who come in. Las Vegas, obviously, a huge tourist destination. They're there for the few days. They're likely staying at the hotel or the property that they're betting at to begin with. So they're going to make the most of it because you have to remember that this isn't available anywhere else uh, in the country. So when you go there, you're sort of going there to be able to experience it. So the reason, obviously, they can't take it back home with them. But I think people are reluctant to use it because they'd rather be sitting in the sports book watching the game, betting on it with the ticket in their hand, an experience they can't have anywhere else in the country, rather than just going in on their phone like they do the rest of the time they're not in Las Vegas betting illegally online. Yeah, it's a fascinating one. We could talk about it for hours, but I'm interested you you release some stock suggestions I've seen. Is that a side project or a passion project of yours or is it something you legitimately use to, to generate other sources of income? Well, I've never been into involved with the stock market. Uh, I've always lived abroad. I've never been... I've, I've had a checking account and that's about the most in-depth my banking history has gone. Um, I really started getting into... Sort of the psychology of betting, um, reading different books. I got into books like The Value Investor, uh, which is the one that Warren Buffett famously recommends. I've got into some behavior economical books as well. Um, and a lot of those always relay back to the stock market. And then just naturally through doing some trading on Betfair, um, playing the tennis markets, I sort of got the concept of uh, the stock market itself. And so everything sort of came together in the last few months and I said, wow, I've got sort of the knowledge on how everything works from the reading that I've done. I've know a lot of these people that work at these gaming companies. I know the products they have. I deal with them often. I know what a company can be worth. I know how to analyze the balance sheet and I figured I'd take a couple cracks at it. And the two I came up with were Amaya uh, I'm very familiar with David Bazoff and that whole operation through my first boss, Richard Williams, who was part of the company. So I'm very familiar with how that company runs and where it can go. Uh, of course, they own PokerStars. And then the other one I suggested was Every. Amaya's up a few percent since I posted it, and Every's already more than doubled. So uh, so far, it's done pretty well for me. Um, I don't know if it's something I'm going to get into heavier, but I, it definitely was an eye-opener for me when I started going through uh, a few months ago and looking at the prices of these companies and, and just knowing what I did about them. I, there, these two definitely jumped off the board to me, but there's another one I'm looking at, Pollard Banknote, which is a small company. Wow, I shouldn't say small. It's <laughs> worth a few hundred million dollars, but it's located in Manitoba here in Canada, and they provide uh, print lottery tickets, and they make the coating that covers like the scratch-off tickets. Um, and they just signed and will be signing a few more deals with companies uh, and governments in the states as all the governments in the United States for each state are really happy about their lottery and happy to promote that on like sports betting. Um, but so there's a couple deals that they have coming up that could uh, bump their, their stock price up. Right now it's about uh, $10.5 Canadian. So 
could see that go up to about 14, 15 by the end of the year. So where, where do you get your content from? Do you have any suggestions for the listeners who might want to have access to some you know, free premium content? I know you've started to release some yourself. Is there any sites or any destinations you rely on to get some of your betting content or even just in-depth sports content? Um, as far as you're talking scores and odds or just people that I look into and listen to? or Yeah, both because it seems to be let's just say limited compared to other places, uh, having access and trying to find good quality content. And we might even touch on gambling Twitter in this part of the world after this question, but where do you, where do you rely on to get, or what sources do you rely on to get your information? Uh, as far as betting, when I'm betting the domestic league um, in Colombia, I have um, a lot of people I've worked with that I'm in touch with, but, uh, and I suggest it for any soccer league, even if, if you've never used any of this type just get started with something like Odds Portal or Odds Checker, just so you can get um, sort of the full picture of the market in your head. I think a lot of people will deposit at a at a bookmaker or two, and they'll get sort of stuck on those two, and they look at what happens within those two ones they play at, or however many they play at, and they don't look at the market as a whole. If you go on these free odds comparison websites, you can see the margins you can see how bookmakers move you can see which ones are moving first so i i would suggest for anyone just to go to one of those websites and use it often just so you can look at everything from a different perspective um as far as like podcasts i like to listen to this one's going to be going up on my list i've listened to your first two episodes they were great so <laughs> that's a a plug for you Appreciate i like it. i like um chat with traders which is another one from australia if you've heard of it, I'm not sure, but they have um, they've done about 115 episodes now, and uh, they bring on different types of stock traders, betters, everything, and they talk about a lot about um, just the psychology of betting and gambling or investing, and then as well as some technical stuff, which is really good to listen to. Uh, a lot of books. I'm currently reading um, a couple different ones. I'm doing Nudge by Richard Thaler, which is a uh, behavioral economics book lots of really interesting stuff just about how we think when we're betting into the markets anything by him um there's another one misbehaving another really good one if you're going to recommend uh books to people reading uh the checklist manifesto another book that i really liked if you go and you put those three into a suggested um list on amazon you're going to get a whole bunch of uh different ones that'll come up but anything in the behavioral economics side is is really good for any better just to sort of get an idea of how you think about different prices because that's really all we're dealing with all day long interesting yeah there's some good i mean misbehaving is great ones some of the Tell your books, anti-fragile and, and full by randomness, those type of books, and even Gladwell. Those are hard reads, though. I, I, I'm all for backing the content that's in them, but you got to really focus to get through those. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Um, I, get, I, am, I appreciate your time. I'm cognizant not to keep you too long. But before you go, I'm just curious, gambling Twitter in the US, it's, it's a tough, very tough area of the world to get involved with there's a lot of you know tough stories and bad stories um there's a lot of touts and things like that going on has it all i'm curious has it always been that way and do you think it'll get any better or is it just you've got to really you know strap in if you're going to head into that part of the world well this is this is a fun topic and it's what i've been involved with for when i first started posting in 2007 it was on the forums um, and there were a couple of big posting forums. And when I say big, I'm talking thousands of people going a day. Um, there well, was one in the UK that was really good, Punter's Lounge or Punter's, something along those lines. It was really good for soccer that I used to go to a lot. Um, but it was never a comparison to this. But a lot of people, as forums died and social media came in around 2010, 2011, everyone sort of shifted over. And I guess uh, what happened sort of was these stories and everything bad that used to happen used to be spread out across like five or six places. So you would go to a place and you would get friendly with people and you'd figure out who was sharp and who was square. And then there'd be these discussions about this person and the, this incident that happened. And it would sort of be isolated to that one spot. Now with Twitter everything's all in one spot. So you have all of the good 
and then you have all of the bad piled on top of each other. And it's sort of a competition to see whether the good or bad rises to the top. And uh, more oftentimes than not, it's it's the bad stuff that gets driven to the top. So if if you are listening and you're in the UK or in the Australia, um, there's definitely a lot of very good content that you can look through and find uh, when you're looking for someone based there. But I guess you just have to be weary of of the bad stuff that's on there as well. So how do you extract the value from the content that's out there? Do you have do you subscribe to lists or things like that on Twitter where you can uh, have certain people that you value or do you just have to take the good with the bad? I've actually just created a list. Uh, there's 16 people on it right now and it's 16 people who I think are in, or who are influential in my day-to-day betting, people that I'll look for to see who they have uh, who they're looking at or what their comments are in certain games. So I've really started getting into the lists. And if you're uh, listening and you want to get into that, then it's definitely a strategy I would suggest um, rather than just sort of the mass following. Find the people who present value to you. Add those people on a list and you can avoid a lot of the junk. Um, it it doesn't take long to see who, who gets it and who doesn't, especially in this part of the world where, like I said, that ceiling for knowledge is so low. So I think anyone coming over um, from the UK or Australia where that ceiling is so much higher is going to be pretty quick to catch on to, to who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. Okay. Before we go, you have anything exciting on the horizon? You mentioned that you've got the new job and obviously your wife moving to Canada and going through that process. Uh, will that keep you occupied going forward or have you got anything else to share? Yeah, that's sort of keeping the most of my life a little bit busy, but I, I am excited to finally be publishing content. I recently stumbled across Medium, which is an awesome app for anyone publishing or anyone who writes. Um, it lets you sort of create the content the way you want to see it in a very easy way to do it. WordPress is it can get a little technical, but this keeps everything the same and clean. So I really like that tool, and I've used it to produce a couple articles so far. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more. I'm going to try to do one or two a week going forward, just on going in depth with different betting. Um, strategies, how bookmakers work, the psychology of betting, all sorts of stuff like that just that I've picked up over the last uh, decade or so. So I'm happy to finally be able to share that with everyone and hopefully encourage a lot of good conversation and discussion and and bring some education to it and as well get back a, a lot from the people who are reading it and commenting as well. We certainly look forward to, to having access and reading to that content, no doubt about that. Adam, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Some great insights there and um, look forward to chatting again soon. No, but thanks for having me and look forward to listening to more of your episodes as they come up. 